0: Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52, and boy, that's exciting to um, experience and see all that God is doing there with Pastor Josh and the team in Zambia. And uh, I know that that they'd covered your prayers, as he mentioned, because it's so important that, you know, they're there on the front lines, but they've got all that prayer support so it can facilitate all that God wants to do. Who's glad they're in church? It's good being saved, good being a Christian. Praise God. Isaiah chapter 52. I I'll get myself sorted out here. The clock is more your benefit than mine, to be honest, otherwise I'll be here all day. But um, I just want to start. Uh, Major Richard Bong, Major Tommy McGuire, and the famous Charles Lindbergh were famous US war pilots. They were known as aces. And what's common with those three particular pilots, apart from the fact that they're all pilots in the US military, was that they had a wingman by the name of Floyd... Fulkerson, he was from Little Rock, Arkansas. And he was known as the best in the business. And he gave them tremendous confidence that when they were when they were on patrol, when they were fighting, that Floyd was their wingman. And they had they they had they had this saying, um, I've got your six. And they still use it in the military today, and what it literally means is I've got your back, because using the face of a watch, twelve o'clock would mean your front, six o'clock would be your rear. And so Floyd was at six o'clock, it's good, he's got my back, I'm gonna be okay, I'm gonna be safe. And Floyd had the motto, um, cover the shooter, and that's what, that's what good wingmen do. And so it's encouraging and really nothing more encouraging to know that someone's got your back, that someone's leading you on, barricading you, and have, and have got your back covered. And I'm saying all this to say, I'm saying all that to say this, is this is where we're at in our text. I just want to read it here in Isaiah chapter 52. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Verse 12, for you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Father, I just pray right now that you would anoint your word that you'd give us open and teachable hearts to receive all that you want to say this day. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to give you the background, this is the book of Isaiah. I ministered around 740 BC, so if you want to draw that kind of timeline in your mind there. And the back end of the book is, is, is primarily dealing with the exile. Um, you know, which would happen later on when they were, uh, Israel was drawn into exile. But what's generally agreed upon here with this particular text, it's not, he doesn't have the exile in mind, he has the Exodus. And so it's a picture of Israel marching out of Egypt and into the promised land. And for those of us old enough, you remember when Charlton Heston, I mean Moses, yeah you can tell by the laughs the older in the congregation get this when he when he stood at the red sea and said stand and see the salvation of the lord and you see the Cecil B. DeMille classic and the waters part and they go through the scripture says in Exodus chapter 14 verse 13 and Moses said to the people Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, Egyptians whom you see today shall, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Thank God God fights for us. Isn't that encouraging? And Eli- so Elijah, he, uh, sorry, Isaiah, elaborates on this picture And he's basically saying all of life is like a march. You shall not go out in haste. You shall not go out in flight. And basically, you know, to to comment on that for you means that, you know, your life is not to be one of dread and anxiety. Mercy and goodness is what follows us all the days of our life. But I want you to see what he adds here. Look at your text if you've got your reading device because he says God is at the front. He will go before you. And then he adds something else he will be your rear guard as well. In other words, he has your back. And I've said, I'm saying this so you get this revelation, and I can come up front and tell you where I'm going with this, is that God's love surrounds your life. Front, back, side to side, he barricades you with his love. And we can walk in the confidence in that. And so my first point is that Christ is our vanguard. Exodus 14, 19, then the angel of God was going before the host of Israel. And so when God led them out, Into the wilderness they went out with what? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And we need to understand that because God never leaves his children without witness. He never leaves us to grope in the dark. Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. And so understand in the Old Testament, the way they would experience Yahweh was based on their senses. Because we don't have that now, do we? We don't have pillars of cloud by day and fire by night but they but, but they responded to god by their senses while well, like they touch taste see you know sense smell feel and it's interesting that historically and at these epochal uh, epochal and decisive moments in the history god would reveal himself in this way so you read the old testament sometimes and you think man that's just Crazy, Are they making this up. No, they're not making this up. That's how God ministered. He hovered upon his people. He came upon his people. He doesn't he didn't reside in his people like he does a New Testament saint. Are you with me so far? So we look, we see an example of this in the book of Joshua, chapter five, verse thirteen, when Joshua he's about to fight the Battle of Jericho. And he lifted up his eyes and he looked, the Bible says in 5.13, Behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? That's a pretty important question, isn't it? And verse 14, he said, No, but I am commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And verse 15, And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So in effect, what God was saying, when the the angel of the Lord confronted Joshua like that, he was saying two things. One, the battle's mine. I'm not joining your army, you're joining me. I'm the commander, I'm the leader. This is my battle. Get in sync with me. And secondly, what does he ask Joshua to do? He says, take off the sandals from your feet because you're in God's presence. And by doing that, by taking off the sandals, you're exposing the the soles of your feet, aren't you? And and, and they're some of the most sensitive parts of our body. And so in effect, God is saying, I want to come into contact with the most sensitive parts of your life. We're going to go on a journey, Joshua. This isn't just about winning this battle. I need to teach you some things. I need to show you some things. And I want to come to the most sensitive parts of your life. And so sometimes we ask ourselves, how do we know? How do we we tell he's prompting? How can we know he's leading? Let me give you an illustration with like a maritime illustration with what people call what what they are known as harbour lights. And sometimes if a ship would come into a harbour, and this is true at night certainly, and if that, if that harbour is narrow, then then they have these harbour lights set up. And basically so when a captain can come in, if those lights line up, he knows that he's headed straight and he's headed, he's headed for, for, for safety, he's headed for the shore. If he can see, and these lights come in pairs or sometimes in threes, and if he sees two or three, he knows he's off course. He's going to hit the rocks. So God has given us these harbour lights in our life to know if we're on track to fulfil his kingdom. The first one we could look at is God's word. That's the most obvious one. Are we in his word? Your job is not to get through the Bible, but your job is to get the Bible in you. And I love the metaphor. There's many metaphors in the scripture and I could take a completely different turn and preach a whole message on this, but just have the revelation that God's word is a light, a lamp under your feet. He leads, he guides. Is your life based on the scripture? Are your thoughts uh, scripturally line up? Because if they're not, you can discard them. Secondly, he's given us the inner witness with inside of us. You know, we have the spirit of God. He bears witness that we are the children of God. The Holy Ghost inside of you is a teacher, isn't he? He points you to Jesus. He leads you. And sometimes when when you, you get those red flags, you get those red lights in your spirit, that's God saying, hold. Don't go forward. That's not my will. That's not my plan. You get that hunch. The longer you serve God, the longer you hear that voice. In the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 33 and this is why they had the the cloud of um, uh, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. He says there in verse thirty three, uh, chapter thirty three, fourteen, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Verse fifteen, and he said to Moses, if if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses was anal about this. God, I'm not going until I can see that this is what you want me to do. So we have God's word. Does it line up with God's word? Do you feel the inner witness of the Holy Spirit? And are there divine circumstances surrounding it as well? Because God has a way of closing doors in your life and God has a way of opening doors in your life. And If you've been serving God for any period of time, you'll know exactly what I'm saying. Ecclesiastes 9.11 says, And again I saw under under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favour to those with knowledge, but time and chance happens to them all. See, some of you can digest that and read that, but let me just sort of paraphrase for you, because Solomon is saying the fastest horse doesn't always win the race. The strongest man doesn't always win the battle. The smartest person in the room doesn't always get the prize but I've paired these two time and chance together that you're all going to get one of the, you're all going to get a shot and God will bring us divine opportunities God will bring us divine appointments in our life if we're open if we're sensitive to him if we're open to his leading a young soldier and his commanding officer after the Second World War got on a train together and the only available seats, that they had were across from an attractive young woman who was travelling with her grandmother. And so as the train's going in Europe, this is in Europe, they engaged in pleasant conversation. The soldier and their young woman kept eyeing one another off and the attraction was obviously mutual. Suddenly the train goes into a dark tunnel for a period of time and then the carriage becomes pitch black. And then two sounds are heard. The smack of a kiss and the whack of a slap across the face. And the grandmother thought, I can't believe he kissed my granddaughter, but I'm glad she gave him the slap that he deserved. The commanding officer thought, I don't blame the boy for kissing the girl, but it's a shame that she missed his face and hit me instead. The girl thought, I'm glad he kissed me, but I wish my grandmother hadn't slapped him for doing it. And the train broke through the tunnel, came out into the light, and the young boy, the young soldier, couldn't wipe the smile off his face. He got to kiss a pretty girl and slap his commanding officer and got away with both of them. Life gives you opportunities. When we allow sorry, just get this lid off. I'm trying to get too much water on me. When we allow those three harbour lights to line up, we can move confidently in God's will and God's word. And you don't always see the results, do you? But you have to trust the process. We don't always see well I'm gonna sound like a football coach now, but um we just have to trust that God is doing because he's our leader. He's our vanguard. We have to trust our leader that he knows exactly what he's doing. And we need this fresh confidence. Why? I'll give you three reasons. One, our confidence gets dented. Have you ever wondered about great sporting stars? They can be going along, they could be doing really well and then all of a sudden, you could move to the next slide. They basically just seem to fall apart don't they it can happen through an injury or alternatively it can happen with a change of coach if it's a team sport or something like that in cricket you know a batsman seems to be doing well he seems to be able to get his eye in and all of a sudden he can't seem to get a run in a cheap pair of stockings and so it affects sports but it affects us as well our confidence gets dented You know, sometimes it could be a bad medical report. It could be a financial setback. Maybe some of you have ever battled with a wayward child who just doesn't seem to want to get into the kingdom. It could be an addiction. You could fill in the blank. And what happens? Your confidence gets dented, doesn't it? You begin to question God. Nothing's changed, but everything's changed. And the same with the sporting analogy is that they don't lose their ability overnight. What happens, we tend to dial into radio doubt, tune into that. We tend to start getting negative thoughts about God, about our lives. And you'd say things like, well, I know God loves me. Well, you know he loves you because he has to. That's his nature. It's the expression of who he is. But he doesn't necessarily like me, though. He has to love me, but he doesn't like me. Can I encourage you? Jesus hasn't given up on you. And that's at those moments we confess with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who had begun a good work, will bring it into completion on the day of Christ Jesus. says, I am sure, you know, the King James, I am confident of this, Paul says. Our confidence gets dented. What's the second thing? Our character gets defiled. Sometimes we doubt God's leading because we know who we are deep down. Because it's interesting in our text, which was a call to not just the exile and the exodus, but to all those who would name the name of Christ, is that the Bible says, depart from iniquity. And this is the struggle for the saint of every generation, of every age. God, I want to live a clean life, but you know what? At times it's hard. I fail, I fall. Second 2 Timothy 2.19, but God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his and that everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You know, Jeremiah said you've got to be able to separate the pure from the profane. Paul says, "Touch not the unclean thing." And we can we can do this. We can go all through Scripture and see this call to a holy lifestyle. We're called to be separated, but not isolated from the world. instillated by the Holy Spirit and inoculated by God's Word. But the problem with this generation, I believe, we've forgotten how to blush at sin. It's so normal now. It's become so much the norm. We're, not, we're afraid to we even use the word sin. Because we know that Christ is our future and we're going to spend an eternity with a holy God, it really ought to make a difference on how we live here and now. Moses at one point said, God, I just need to see you, Lord. I want to experience your presence in a great And God says, you don't get it. If you see me, you'll be dead. This is as close as you're going to get, and it puts him in a rock, in a cleft of a rock, I'm just going to go past, but you're not allowed to look. And Paul, when he writes to Timothy, says, God dwells in unapproachable light. He's so holy. Thank God for his blood. Thank God for his grace. But with this in mind, being around that throne through all eternity worshipping, that should make a difference how you and I live today. In my general Bible reading I've been working my way, and I said this to the saints at Ellenbrook, I've been going through the book of 1st and 2nd Kings, and um, it's just these, these stories of treachery and treason. It's uh, you, you couldn't make a Hollywood movie out of it, you know, and so Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athelia, she basically usurps the throne and uh, kills all her grandchildren. Nice grandmother. <laughs> the Bible doesn't really... Give a detailed explanation of her motives, but we can only look at that as an absolute lust for power. But there's one child, Joash, who Joram, King Joram's daughter, grabs him and hides him and says, I'm gonna I'm gonna preserve this child's life. And she brings him to the priest, Jehoda. Now Jehoda is the ultimate wingman. He's got this child's best interest at heart and I'm not going to go through and read it because of time, but basically he hires mercenaries, he gets the best soldiers he can get, he's got the Levites, he's got the priesthood, he stations them at the front of the temple, at the back of the temple, around the throne, he's a bit paranoid. And he says, anyone who comes near this child, I want you to kill them. It's heavy, isn't it? And that's what they end up doing to Athalia. She ends up with the same fate as her mother. They take her outside the temple and they slay her. And so I'm reading this and what I'm gleaning from it is that a number of things. But one, God, you are ruthless about this. And that's the attitude because we have a greater than Joash sitting on the throne of our heart, don't we? So I just want to encourage you to identify your idols, anything that sits upon the throne of your heart higher than Christ, you've got to dethrone it, be ruthless with it. If that sin is holding you back, be ruthless with it, take an axe to it. Our confidence gets dented, our character gets defiled and our certainty gets dim. In 1952, Florence Chadwick attempted to swim from the Californian mainland to Catalina Island. This distance is 42 kilometres. Man, I could barely walk that, let alone think about swimming it. She swam for 15 hours through rough seas and fog and she gave up with less than one kilometre to go. When she got out, she made the comment. Listen very carefully. She said, "All I could see was the fog." I think I could, if I think, if I could have seen this shore, I would have made it. And a little later on, she did actually make it. But you know what? At times, saints, can can I just get down and re- be real with you? It feels like we're living in a fog. We've had to deal with this worldwide pandemic shutdowns, the emotional toll of that. We've got a war going on in, in the Ukraine and the effect that that has worldwide, the cost of living, rising up, nations to the north being a little belligerent. And to be honest, sometimes it's a bit difficult to see the shore. And what happens is your hope gets dimmed and the temptation to pull and go on the side of the road is enormous. But can, we, can I encourage you this morning, can we use this time to lift the fog so we can see Jesus out a little bit more clearly. He's the vanguard. He's the one leading you on. He's the one who's got your back as well. Get our eyes off of the problem and put them onto the answer. Aristotle said it's in our darkest moments that we must focus to see the light. And if I was to talk to you, be honest, like I can't. I don't believe in giving a false hope. And if I look out at this congregation here, I can't guarantee you success or failure. No preacher can. Friend or foe, sickness, health, life or death. I can't guarantee any of that. We don't know. But I can tell you this, Jesus will be there. I can tell you that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. I can tell you that he'll be your vanguard. I can tell you that his love will surround you. He'll give you beauty for ashes, hallelujah, joy for mourning because he's our, he's our ultimate leader, being confident in this very thing that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the, unto the day of Christ Jesus. For you shall not go out in haste and you shall not go out in flight for the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. I thank God that the scripture doesn't end that. with He's not just going in front of us but he's our rear guard as well. Jesus is our rear guard. In other words, he's got your back. Let's look at Ezekiel, Exodus, sorry, chapter fourteen, nineteen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, verse 20, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Now, if this wasn't in the Bible, I, to be honest, I probably wouldn't believe it. But, you know, Jesus in the Apostles quoted the book of Isaiah more than any other Old Testament book. Are you aware of that? We're dealing with God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word. And thank God, here we have this uh, decisive moment in history when Pharaoh and his army are pursuing God's people and what was leading them on, their vanguard, that, that pillar of cloud by day, of fire by night, that presence in front of them, the Bible says, moved from in front and went to their rear. And that's the picture that Isaiah's wanting us to see. He's, he's your vanguard, he's up front, he's also your rear guard as well, and I've got your back. So to the, to the Israelites, it was still that light, but to the Egyptians and the enemies of God, it was complete darkness. And God wrought a great miracle. See, what was God protecting the Israelites from? In its context, Pharaoh and his army. But what did they represent? Their past. That's where they've come from. That's where they've been. So your salvation didn't just secure your future, it takes care of your past as well. You're forgiven. And it's because I'm saying this because sometimes we find it hard to move forward because we feel that we're chained. You feel that you're disqualified. You feel that the failures and the mistakes that you've made that you could never be used of God ever again. You wouldn't say it out loud, but in your heart of hearts, you believe it affects your finances, your relationships, and every aspect of your life. Revelation 21.5 says, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Don't you thank God that he's a God of the second chance, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and so on, and so on. Philippians 4.13, this one thing I do, Paul says, I forget what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I forget what's past. I'm putting that behind. So when I talk about forgetting the past, there's two aspects of this. Firstly, forget the bad. Have you got the next slide there? Forget the bad. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. And verse, uh, Isaiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Don't you thank God that God is a forgiving God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, a little while back, my wife and I took our cat. Our cat's name is Alistair. And we named him after Alistair Lynch, the um, the Brisbane Lions footballer. And um, my daughter actually told him that when we met him. And it was a bit embarrassing, but that's another sermon altogether. But anyway, we're at the vet. Um, and to be to be truthful with you and honest, you know, we are probably not the best, most responsible pet owners because our cat's got to be pretty sick. To, to take him to the vet but we took him there and uh, he doesn't like people touching and prodding him at the best of times and so the vet's feeling for something and she said something interesting that kind of stuck with me he said well he's masking pain he said "Cat," and she said explain it cats are very very good at masquerading and hiding their pain Apparently, if you do a bit of research into this, it goes back to some kind of primal instinct in the wild, and uh, they do this to show that they're, you know, to show a predator that they're not weak. Whereas a dog will whimper, let you know if he's upset. A cat will do his best to hide it. And so she began to point out a few different things, and um, you know, I thought they're not the only species that hides pain well, are they? How well do you mask yours? Sometimes you find yourself laughing at jokes that you don't find funny or doing things that you don't like because you want, want approval. It's interesting on the way we're talking about some of the best comedians in the world have suffered the greatest amounts of depression because they can, they can use their comedy as a masking agent. It's hiding something deeper, going inside. You try and act happy, put on a brave face. See, some of us don't have a problem with the issue of God forgiving us. But the bigger problem is can you forgive yourself? And you soak in a, in, a, in a guilt bath and you've been doing that for so long, some of you need to just get out of it and wrap yourself in a towel of mercy because your past is your past. And if God has forgiven you, you need to forgive yourself as well. You can't change history. We can't rewrite it. And maybe you've had a bad experience. Maybe something that you've done long ago and you're full of regret and it haunts you, it taunts you at night, keeping you living a full life today. It's over. There was a famous evangelist in England in the 18th century. Um, Sorry, 19th century. His name was Brownlow North. And... uh, God used this man powerfully, but he had quite a powerful testimony because he'd lived quite a debauched life prior to his conversion. One particular um, morning, he was about—he entered into a building to preach, and someone handed him a note before he got on the stage. And I'm just going to quote the note. I'm going to bridge it for you. Brownlow North, you miserable hypocrite! Do you remember what took place at such and such a date and your part in it, and on such and such a time? And again, your part on such such, and this letter chronicled several of the sins that he had committed. And it says, "And you're going to get." And the letter went on to say, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, "You're going to get up and rant and rave what you call the gospel. How dare you do that?" So Brownlow North was no, he was um, no doubt shaken by this. He said, "I felt the full force of it," and we got up to preach. He quoted 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And then he opened up the letter that he was given. and He said to the church, I'm not going to pollute you with the contents of this, but I'm going to tell you three things about it because there's someone here who knows a bit about my past. The first thing I want to say is it's all true, every word of it. In fact, they've missed out a bit as well. I wish it weren't, he said, but it's true, and and these are the the things that I have done. The second thing I want to point out is that all is forgiven. I know that my sins, as gross as they were, have been put under the blood of Jesus Christ, and God has cleansed me. And the third thing I want to say is that if Jesus Christ can save someone like me, he can save anyone in this building today. There's a man with an understanding of grace. In forgetting the bad, there's another thing we need to forget as well. And that's the good. I'm going to close with this thought. Those of us who grew up listening to David Bowie, you remember the song Golden Years? Golden Years. Some of these days it won't be long going to drive back down where you once belonged. Or maybe you're a Bruce Springsteen fan and you prefer the glory days. About the guy who can't quit thinking about all the fun he had in high school time slips away, leaves you with nothing but boring stories of glory days. You see, for a lot of people, we zero in on a point of our life when things worked, when life seemed happy, when we seemed at the most, have the most joy, and then we want to spend the rest of our days reliving the past. And let me tread carefully here, because it's good to remember the good things that God has done. Amen? Amen the wonderful times of fellowship, the the joyful experiences that we've had, they're they're things you never want to forget. But you know, churches give in to this temptation as well. We lose members, things slow down, and then we just end up getting content, we end up just going through the motions, and before we know it, we're singing glory days. I remember this such and such and this revival we had and such and such and this person got saved. I remember such and such a sermon and that's all we talk about. It's just history, modern, ancient, whatever it is. It's all what God did in the past. And as I said, I thank God for that. We need to remember that. But you can't live there, church. I can't live there. You can't live there. We need a fresh move of God. If you've ever spent the time and gone to Israel, you'll see, if you just move to the next slide, you see the Orthodox, you see the Hasidic military people praying at the wall. And what what captivates you is the thought here because when when they go to that wall, which was the only remains of Solomon's outside compound wall, it's not the temple wall, it's the outside compound wall, but that's, that's, it just reminds them of, of better days. It reminds them of when David and Solomon reigned. It reminded them when things were at peace. It reminded them when things worked. And now they can just go through the motions because God doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands, he dwells, where? he dwells in us. We receive Him by faith. And we're a lot like that. We just go through the motions, we're still at the wall. We've got to move beyond it. We need to create some new memories. Thank God for it, but you can't live there. Forget the bad, but also forget the good. Philippians 4.13, Yet whatever gains I had, I have, I have these, I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Paul's saying, I'm not going to live in the past. My reason for living is to be like Jesus And whatever happened yesterday, good or bad, is behind me. I'm straining forward. Jesus Christ crucified for your future. He's your vanguard. And his arms stretch the other way. He's your rear guard as well. What's in your past, good and bad, is in your past. I think today, church, let's just let God turn a page in our life. It's a new day. It's a new day. Amen.